We have much to celebrate this week. We realize that the one life of Jesus can change every life. That's something we know. That's something we talk about. That's something we are excited about. At least I hope we are. And that we get to be the beneficiaries of. Sure, sure, Jesus can change a life. That's, that is good news. That is the greatest of news. But oftentimes we stop short. And hear me out. I'm not telling you that if you're just going to Jesus, you're stopping short of anything. It is the greatest one ever. But many times we'll shortchange His work in us to unleash us, to gift us, to empower us, to carry His message to a lost and dying world. And we may do it because we think of Jesus as He rightly is, Lord Almighty God, Creator, the One who can change it all, who created it all, who saw it in all of its fall, and and went and did the work of promising and providing redemption. We will celebrate that. And then we will celebrate His work in huge giants of the faith. People that accomplished much. People like the Apostle Paul, rescued by Jesus, one time a torturer and persecutor of believers, a hunter of the church, and yet redeemed by Jesus, and he became one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever seen. He wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. So we applaud people like him. We applaud people like Stephen. The Stephen of the Bible, not Stephen, although you might want to applaud him. Today's his birthday, so he lived another year. And he always loves this kind of attention. You're welcome, buddy. I got you. But we applaud Stephen, you know, the first martyr that that died after giving a, a treatise sermon on the history of the Jewish people before the Jewish government. And was stoned to death for that. But that bold confidence and faith, man, we see that big work and it's huge. We see people like Peter. Roughneck, fisherman, untrained, and yet mighty in word and deed when it came to finally having the courage after the resurrection to preach and seeing 3,000 get saved. All of this attributed to the work of Jesus. None of this is them pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps. None of this is, is them daring to be a Paul or daring to be a Daniel. That's not what it is. Jesus just had his way with them. And he was forever celebrated. But we sometimes put them on a shelf as in this is who they are. And then we look at our life and we say, well, I'm not there. I don't have the education of a Paul or the allowance to travel and freedom to move with ease as he did. Or I don't have the the knowledge and the history of of the Jewish culture like a Stephen. And and I don't even have that platform to be brought before governing leaders to to make that bold statement, even if it would cost me a life. Maybe you're like, I'm not a Peter 
Because I just, <laughs> I'm afraid to ever open my mouth. Apparently Peter was never afraid to open his mouth. And we put them on a shelf and we don't look at what is possible through our life. But I want to tell you that a, the world has not yet seen a person who has been fully, fully surrendered to the work of God. I don't think the world has fully seen that. I mean, they've seen people that we would consider heroes. But sometimes, I think we look at these people on the shelf and we hold them up and, and we lessen the little people just like we lessen our lives. You see, you would not have a Paul if there wasn't a Barnabas. I mean, Barnabas is the one that introduced Paul to the disciples. He's the one that first brought Paul to the church at Antioch where the people were first called Christians in the book of Acts. You have uh, this person who's mentioned very few times, really, in the Bible, aside from the book of Acts, he's not mentioned anywhere. And yet, making a significant difference to where he actually becomes overshadowed by the one that he helped lead. You have Stephen's person that was not one of the original apostles, but a follower of Jesus. And his first task that he's entrusted with is not go out and, and preach a good sermon or, or not go teach the multitudes. It's go hand out some food for us. That's, that's it. That's Stephen's first task. He's selected by the church to be a food passer out, a servant. To do the work of diakonos. By the way, if you didn't know this, here's a Greek lesson for the day that no one asked for. Diakonos means waiter. It means servant. It does. It's where we get the word deacon. And I'm thankful we have people that represent that title here. You wouldn't have a Peter... Unless there was a brother, his blood brother, named Andrew. You see, today we're going to talk about Andrew and not hold up Andrew as a dare to be an Andrew, but I want you to see that one life who we may equate our life to be very similar to, who's not mentioned very much, who likes to be in the limelight, how one life can change one life. And, and the, the flow, the aftermath that can happen after is far beyond they probably could imagine, or you could probably imagine. You see, Andrew is only mentioned three times in the Gospels. And all three of these times are in the book of John. They're all in the book of John. And this makes sense. Andrew was one of the, the first disciples that followed John the Baptist whenever John the Baptist began preaching. But we don't even hear his name mentioned until it's told us that that. He was the one of those that went to find his brother Simon. The one who would be called Peter. And today we're going to look at that and see the aftermath that's left from one man being obedient to the one who can use the one to change one. So let's look at that. Stand with me and we honor God in the reading of His Word. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. Now, if you need a copy of God's Word, you can use the one in the pew in front of you. It's going to be on page 942. 
And you can even take that Bible with you should if you have, don't have one. It's our gift to you, but it will also be on the screen. But I encourage you to follow along in your copy of God's Word, whether it be written or in print or digital. We're going to read three little verses. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him, him being Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. So when you see Christ and you see Messiah, they mean the same word. One's the Greek, one's the Hebrew. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kepha. Some people pronounce it Cephas, which is translated Peter, which means rock. Let's pray. Lord God, we've just read an introduction story. And we may say, what is the rich jewels that we can get from an introduction story? It doesn't seem like there's a lot of miracles going on. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of wow and wonderment that's happening in this moment. And yet it is a part of the gift that is your word to man. And every part of it is God-breathed. Every part of it is useful for correcting, for teaching, for rebuking, for directing, for equipping the men and women of God for your good work so that we may be complete. So Lord, today I ask that you help us to hear from you and to see how even something as significant as three little passages of Scripture can teach us a lesson about faithfulness, about obedience, and about boldness to share who you are, the one that can change everything. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So it seems that Andrew is one of kind of the closest first initial friends connection with Jesus. You see, it's Andrew. I apologize, he's mentioned four times because there is the calling of the disciples at the sea. And it is Simon and his brother Andrew that are there. But Andrew is one of those original four that first started following Jesus. The, the four on the beach side that Jesus called and said, follow me. And they left their nets and they followed him. He's a part of that inner circle, yet he's not as known as Peter and James and John. He's, he's the lesser one that sits in the back and just does his thing without being out in front. But here's the thing about Andrew. Even though he's lesser known, and it's hard to surmise this, but it is possible the New Testament history could have been quite different were it not for someone named Andrew. It is quite possible. We don't know. We, we would never live with that possibility. But what we live on the other side is the difference that he made. That this Andrew is a person who is a bringer and introducer of people to Jesus. For Jesus to have his way to, to lead and to take that life and change it and use it for his glory, his good, his gospel. And Andrew here, once again, 
living as the shadows of under his better known brother, is the first one that actually introduces his brother to Jesus, and he's quite all right with that. As he's in this part, we, we see a little bit about what the Bible's trying to tell us. And that's a good thing because when we come to the Bible, we're always trying to answer some questions. We talk about these each week. What does it say? And what does it mean? This is coming from the Gospel of John and, and telling us about the deity of Jesus and the disciples and their early role in the church. And we see how it applies, and we're going to talk about that. But we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do about what we hear? And, and here's what I want you to hear. that the, As disciples of Jesus, this is our aim today. As disciples of Jesus, our task is to constantly be those one lives, connecting one lives to the one who is life and who gives life. To be the one life that connects one life to the one life who is life and who gives life. I'm even tang-tumbling myself. I probably should have written that better. So I'm going to apologize to you, Head. But I want you to see the difference that one life can make. And here's the first thing we see, that one life, it really matters. It really matters. And as we look at the life of Andrew, we can see a person that seems to value the single soul. Now, we get caught up in the big-digit numbers. We do. And, 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 and God is glorified in both. But less is said about the person that does the single-soul activity. The, the one who's like, well, I'm just going to pace myself. And as God brings that one to me, I'm going to invest in them to bring them to Him. We, we see that and sometimes we discount that. But almost every time we see Andrew, and make no mistake, it is in there for a purpose, we see him bringing the one to Jesus. Once again, he brings Simon, who would be called Peter, just one. It's Andrew who brings the little boy with his lunch, the, the five loaves and the two fishes, if we were to equate that day to a modern-day school lunchbox, we would say a can of tuna and some Pringles. I know John Beck's not in here. He would actually prefer a can of sardines. And y'all just need to pray for him on that. But what we see about Andrew is he's kind of like this, this very steady, consistent home missionary. He goes to people that are very familiar to him, that are in the situations that he encounters on an everyday basis. He's not going on these super long quests and putting on super armor and making these gallant deeds. He's just meeting people one-on-one and bringing them to Jesus. And that changes them. We see Andrew not only as bringing people that are just like him, but even people that are a little bit different. In the Gospel of John chapter 12, verses 20-22, through 22, it's, it's Andrew that brings some people that were... They called the Greeks. These were probably Greek-speaking Jews. So they had Jewish customs, but they spoke a different language, and it's them that they bring to Jesus. Where most people in that day were saying, well, if you're not a Hebrew Jew, then you can't be a part of us. Andrew's like, well, you, you know some things. We want to give you the full thing. We want you to see the sufficient one. And here's the truth about this. We need more people that will see that their one life matters and that that one life that God has brought to them matters. Because here's the exception of the rule. Most people do not actually come to Christ as an immediate response to a sermon they hear in a crowded setting. Now, there are examples. But I would want you to know that 
as you look through the Bible, most of the time the daily being added by number are from the single souls that understand that my one life matters to the one who gave me life. And because my life matters to the one who gave me life, I'm going to be one life to get other ones to him. Because that changes, that changes history. You may say, well, that's in the Bible. I get that. It's supposed to do that. It's supposed to be encouraging me. What are some other real life scenarios of, of someone that made a big difference far beyond they even, their even knowledge? Let me tell you a story about a man named Edward Kimball. Anybody ever heard of Edward Kimball? Probably nobody, right? And yet Edward Kimball is kind of a famous in the shadows guy, if you will. You see, Edward Kimball lived in the late 1800s. And he was a Sunday school teacher at a Baptist church. I think it was a Baptist church. It might not have been. That's not important. But he was a Sunday school teacher. And he taught young men about 18 to 25-ish. And while he was in Boston teaching young men, there was this really crude dude that was 18 years old. He was barely literate. Really didn't understand a lot of things. He was very brash. And he came in. His name was Dwight. And Dwight was a part of Edward's Sunday school class. And God put Dwight on Edward's heart. And God knew Dwight worked at a shoe store just down the road from the church. And it just could not, he could not shake that, that Dwight needed the gospel and Edward felt it was his job to carry it. But Edward would mention he's the very, he was very weak and timid and, and did not carry on a very good, uh, presentation. He says it felt like I was very, always shelling myself short and wasn't, I, I was anything but bold. I, I was not good. At all. He says, I would go around anytime I felt like God was telling me to share the gospel, I'd get the shakes. I'd get scared. And he was so moved to do this, he thought, okay, I'm just going to do it. And God, whatever He can do. Because I, I don't know, apparently I'm not that great. And he was so caught up in the moment, he actually walked past the store and forgot where he was and he had to run back. He says, but when I got to the storefront, I almost panicked he said i thought what if i go in and some of his fellow salesmen see me telling the boy and they taunt him about being a part of a church class or something like that or, or they mess with him but he says nevertheless i'm going to do it and he walked in and young dwight was working in the stock room and he invited edward to come in because he knew him and Edward proceeded to tell them the gospel. And he says, I, he says, I made probably the weakest appeal ever. It was weak. But nevertheless, Dwight turned his heart to Christ. Dwight L. Moody. Who would become educated. Who would start the Moody Bible Institute. Moody Radio lead to the Moody Missions Endeavors, would lead to the Moody Evangelist Gospels that would end up sharing the message to thousands and seeing salvation brought to the many and multitudes in Chicago during the early 1900s. 
that through his ministry, men like C.T. Studd and Billy Sunday and Mordecai Ham would come to know the Gospel as young men who in turn would share the Gospel with many in tent revivals throughout America in the early 1900s. In fact, Mordecai Ham shared one time in a little small town in North Carolina. And there on the front row was a guy with no name. His name was William Graham. Who knows the history that could have been different were it not for a person like Edward Kimball that nobody's ever heard of before? Who knows the history that could be made if it wasn't for Andrews? Who was one of the two who heard John that said, looked at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And ding, ding, it popped. This is the Messiah. I know just who I need to bring to Him. Because this one's going to make all the difference. So I'm going to be one to help others get to that one. One life matters. We also need to see that one sacrifice makes a difference. You see, some people, we, we just get so focused on, on big things, but we need to appreciate the small things. Once again, it's Andrew, this introducer, that he sets the tone here in John chapter 1. But you also see him in John chapter 6. And, and meanwhile, his buddy Philip, we've already talked about Philip, when Philip saw the crowd, the 5,000 men plus many with their wives and their children there in that desolate place in Galilee, Philip is caught in and he's, he's doing the math. He's looking around and he's saying, alright Jesus, you're telling us to feed them? 200 denarii are not going to feed these guys. And you may not say 200 denarii, I don't know what that even means. Uh, a denarii was one day's wages. So think of all the amount of work that 200 days of wage would earn you. That would not be enough to feed the crowd that was there. Philip is fixated on the number. He's like, it's too big of a size. But it's Andrew who says, well, I've got a boy here. He has five barley loaves and two fish. I don't know what they are among so many, but He's willing to give it to you and I'm willing to introduce you. And you see one of the greatest signs that's recorded in all of the Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000 through that. You see, Andrew must have caught something from Jesus. This value of how small things can make a big difference far beyond our comprehension. Like when Jesus talked in Luke chapter um, Luke chapter 21 about the widow dropping in two, we call them copper coins, into the treasury. While many were dropping their huge offerings, she dropped many. And it's Jesus that, that, that esteems her and elevates what she's done above all. It, it may be small in the eyes of the size, but it would make a big difference. It says that she has given all she had to live on and God was not going to let that blessing be taken away from her. You see, there's something that Philip has as his understanding of Jesus that we need in our understanding of Jesus. God can use the small acts of obedience. And the small acts of obedience are the ones that actually go and do the great things. Yeah, we can have big flaring moments that, that make us really have all the pomp and circumstance and think, oh, that's great, that's awesome. To see all the many people that came. And that's good. But if we only celebrate that and miss the 
step-by-step, day-by-day attempts and, and seeking to be faithful and communicate the message, we're missing a huge blessing. We're missing on how God makes that count well beyond our scope. We see also not only this, that one life matters and one sacrifice at a time makes a difference, but we see one action at a time, it serves many. Andrew is the picture of all those who labor quietly in the humble places. I'm thankful for those that labor quietly in the humble places. Not because I want to overshadow them. Not because I want them to be overlooked. But because, man, there would be a lot that did not get done. And the people that get to stand up on this pedestal like I do on, the, on this week, man, we would have nothing to show for. Nothing. We would come and it would just be chaos. Because each person wasn't doing the, the, the role that, that God intended and gifted them to accomplish. I talked about this the other night. I said over and over again, and I will say it once more. I was completely oblivious to how much I was drowning in the amount of work that was needed to be taking place. And I admit it was my own pride. I was thinking, I'm going to do something really nice and kind and serve the people and let them have a break and just come and be a part. But I had no idea how much the little things add up to the big things. And I'm thankful for the little the ones that stepped in and they said, hey, I'll take care of that little thing. Or it may have been a big thing to them. I don't know. But they covered where I lacked. They served where the need was. And they did it not so they can be like, I made the preacher look bad. Or I made the preacher look good. They did it because they wanted to honor Jesus. They did it because they wanted to honor Jesus. And they wanted to help His church. This is where the recommendation that our, the, our brother the Apostle Paul would share. He says, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Do it with the act of saying, I don't care if I get any recognition. And because I don't care if I get any recognition, I also don't fear any rejection. That's a big, powerful moment, guys. If you are worried about recognition, rejection becomes a giant that will tear you apart. The fear of rejection will. And when the rejection, if it comes, comes. But if you're not worried about the recognition and you're saying, I am doing this as one life, recognizing the one who gave me life, and I'm helping one life get to the one who can give them life then all of a sudden the recognition is off the table. If, 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 if I'm not remembered, it's okay. So I don't have to worry about rejection either. Because I'm just going to plod along and do what God has called me to do. You know, many of the stories of the apostles are, are remembered, especially how they were martyred. All of them died a martyr's death except for John who died of old age after many, many attempts on his life according to church history. And while you don't have big moments that says that that Andrew planted multitudes of churches, you do see him being a faithful missionary to the point that he even died on a cross himself. Tradition tells us that Andrew took the gospel north into Russia as far as that place. And, and then over to northern Greece where eventually he was 
crucified and lashed on a cross in the shape of an X. And most said that He actually hung there suffering for two days. But in that suffering, nevertheless, His plea was turned to look to Christ. To everyone that would pass by. You see, it's this message of His humility that says, I'm not worried about whether I'm recognized. I'm not even worried about if I'm crucified. I'm worried about whether Jesus is glorified. That is the goal of my life. That is the gifting from the One who gave me this life. And why is that? Because one life matters. One sacrifice makes a difference. One action serves much. And above all, one message needs to be heard. You may wonder, what can you do among the many? How can you share? Is there any other way? And Here's the gist of it here, guys. Here's the rub. There is no plan B. You were God's plan A and there is no plan B. That's it. You are God's great plan. And that's good. Because He sees wow, He has infused you and given you life and giftedness to carry that. And it is good that this is the greatest plan. And it is good that we see that this there is no greater message than this. It helps us to see that each day it is God made. It is something that we can be glad and rejoice in because God has given us yet again another opportunity to be a part of His great plan to carry His great message to the great need. It tells them about a great Savior. I talk often about Charles Spurgeon. His work in the late 1800s in London. It's amazing. It's incredible. But he is also one of those guys that, that has a story that started with a small account. Of someone that made a difference to him. See, if you don't know the story of Charles Spurgeon and his origins before he became what people call the Prince of Preachers, is that he was a village a young man in a village that was aimless in his life, that was terrified of what could be beyond. Felling fruitless and yet seeking answers. And one day, in the middle of a snowstorm in Sussex, England, he was on the way to the Baptist church, but he couldn't get there because of the snowstorm, so he had to end up in a Methodist church, so we won't fault him for that. But not even the pastor of the Methodist church could make it. And so it was an evening, and there was a person trying to do their simplest gospel presentation and and Charles Spurgeon wrote said the man stumbled stumbled and stuttered and it was tripping over his words there came to a point in the crowd of so few where the man fixed his eyes on that one Charles himself he said he looked at me and in the middle of it he called a spade a spade he said son you look miserable And you will always be miserable until you look to Jesus. And all you have to do 
is look. It was as simple a message that just awakened faith in his soul. Not with floundering words, but simple just to look. How are we helping people be introduced and look to Jesus? You may not ever be the person that gets the highest recognition. I may never be, and that's okay. But if I'm not recognized, and even if I'm crucified, but yet God is glorified, it's been a good day. Let's do our work as ones, getting ones to the one. Lord Jesus, today, help us to recognize who you are. Help us recognize the the glory that is in the gospel. That you, as God Almighty, would see us in our sin and yet be our sufficient one to save the many. And God, thank you for offering that gift so that we might be saved. And for everyone who looks to you and receives grace, they have their eternity changed and their life transformed. God, thank you for how beautiful that is. There is no greater message. Now help us to be your messengers, understanding that there is no greater calling than to share it. And Jesus, may you have your way in this time as we respond to you. Amen.